to be or not to be? That is the question. A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. Don't be so dramatic. Hello and welcome to Don't Be So Dramatic. I'm Steve Bradley. I'm Jason B. Moore. And today we are joined by a guest who is a very successful actor, writer, director, and is also chairman of the Actors Centre where we're recording today. It's Paul Clayton. Welcome to the show. Hello, boys. How are you? I'm very well. Good. Good. Thank you. How are you? I'm all right, yes. Yes, we're not sitting in our most pleasant room here at the Actors' Centre. But, um, <laughs> I'm glad you said it. No, 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 it's a little bit of an airless sort of bunker. But uh, <laughs> it is our smallest room and we've got lots of other brilliant rehearsal spaces. There's a bit of echo going on, but I'm sure that'll come out fine. So let's start with a, a bit about your background, Paul. So where did you start? When did you, uh, when did you decide you wanted to be an actor? God, I hate that because I ask that to people when I'm doing these chats here at the Actors Centre mm. and I think it's really clever. <laughs> um, until you're asked. Until I'm asked, yes, thank you. Um, I, I can't remember not wanting to be an actor. I have a memory. You're always doing that thing about what happened if I ever, heaven forfend, had to write my autobiography and what would I write. I remember doing a play called Evil Spirits when I was... Six, and that was in the infant school in darkest the Soviet Socialist Republic of South Yorkshire. Oh, gosh, yes. um, and as happens at that age, it involved me and two girls, because girls were the only people who did drama. Uh, and it rehearsed in the playground. And then we begged Miss Bentham, our infant teacher, that we could put it on at the end of class. And it, I have a memory that it went on for hours, but it probably lasted about six minutes. And I know it involved those well-known envelope-pushing character types, a soldier, a witch, and a maiden. <laughs> and there was a baby, which was a rolled-up jumper. Right. I did that because I wanted to be an actor. So at some point before then... You, wanted, you decided that that's what you yeah, wanted to kind of Yeah, and that's do. really worrying because I don't know where the germ was planted. Right. Did you, but did you also... Did you direct that? Did you put yeah. it together? Were you the whole... Was it uh, your if you whole mean, did entry? I tell everybody what to do? Well, there you go, yes. yeah. Yeah, I'm still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so then where did it go from there? Did you just carry on doing drama throughout school and then you went to, to drama school? Yeah, in junior school I used to, you know instigate that we could do plays and then I went to grammar school because we had there was the 11 plus system so I went about seven miles away to a very I suppose old-fashioned red brick grammar school it was just about to become part of the comprehensive system uh, and I loved it because when you got to the sixth form um, you wore if you were on the sixth form council you wore gowns and mortarboards like the staff but in maroon Oh, lovely. So much more exciting than the black. Very theatrical. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And the brilliant thing was you could swan down the big corridor <laughs> in these gowns if you were deputy head boy, which I was, and the, the, the seas parted of oh, pupils against right. the walls. <laughs> did they in... bow as you walked past? No, they didn't. Oh. They didn't. They, they, I think inwardly they probably did. Uh, of course. Um, but they had... <laughs> although it was quite a sporty school, and the reason I wasn't head boy was because <laughs> I didn't do any sport, uh, something I've... Uh, always kept to in my life I did a lot of drama and they did a lot of plays and that was really brilliant and I, I, I was quite sort of I suppose academically bright and they were hoping I would be Oxbridge and it was never fully explained to me that Oxbridge is a brilliant way into the theatre mm. I just saw it as 
it's going to be really intellectually demanding and I know what I want to be. So mm. I'd go to the careers room for a furtive flick through the one brochure they had about drama schools, <laughs> no internet then. And um, that's what I really wanted to go to. And I went on a tour of Oxbridge, Oxford and Cambridge that the school organised and sort of sniffed at it. And then they sort of went, right, well, if that's going to be your attitude, we're not bothering. So I, I sort of just thought, right, well, I'll put two fingers up to you by getting Oxbridge grades. And not going. <laughs> but not going. Right. Um, and my parents didn't know anything about drama school. Um, I did the National Youth Theatre in the early 70s. Right. Having lied to my mother that if you got in, don't worry, because uh, you all stay in a hostel right next door to the theatre and they look after you every day, which is an absolute lie in those days anyway. Uh, and I got it and I got in um, and uh, I remember having to stay in the Catholic International Students Hostel in Finsbury Park, yes. which I'm sure was a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely sure it was a brothel. Um, sadly, I obviously didn't catch on. But an exciting time. National Youth Theatre was very exciting at oh, that God, time. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Lots of, yeah, because that was sort of its... When it was really some good, nice actors, playwrights and people coming out. Yeah, lovely people. And there's a, there's a strange bond mm. um, to, to sort of XMYT. But the brilliant thing it did for me, I'm still a great champion of it. Not really because I suppose it made me a better actor in any way, because I, I don't think it did. I think I'm still sort of camp and Yorkshire, thinking he spoke very properly then, but probably not. Tim Spall said to me one day, you speak very funny, you. <laughs> really? Uh, really. I, I, I do the Bible reading in assembly, Tim. I can't yes. speak that funny, can I? Yes. But I probably did to him. Um, but I think it was the thing about life. It was the education about life. You live in a mining village in South Yorkshire. You do your acting at school or twice, I think, with the Rotherham Amateur Theatrical and Operatic Society or whatever it was. Mm. And then you come to London and you're in a room all day with people of your own age who want to do the same as you. Mm. And on that first afternoon, I remember we all turned up at Haverstock Hill School in Short Farm. There were 80 of us, new members. We all sat in a gym. We had a talk about, you know, don't screw each other, don't have drugs, don't get drunk, <laughs> whatever, which, you know, of course we all rigidly adhered to. Of course. Um, and then... Um, Difficult, though, it was in the Catholic International Student Hostel. <laughs> uh, and then they just gave somebody's name and that person had to stand up and do their audition speech in front of 79 oh, gosh, other people. that's quite something, wow. isn't it? And then for six hours, we did it one by one. And you're oh sitting God, there, that's... and I was doing Richard II, and I remember Simon Shepherd got up and did Richard II before me, <gasps> and two other people I know, one who's, I think, gone on to fame in America, I can't really remember his surname, and you're thinking, oh, my God. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> wow, that's nerve-wracking. So whenever, you know, people come in, and I've done auditions for the youth theatre for years now, and people come in and go, oh, I'm really nervous, I'm really nervous. And yes, we know, but I don't have a lot of sympathy, because <laughs> you're in one room, on your own, with me, yes. and I think I'm quite nice, and, you know, I've sat on both sides of the table mm. in the audition situation professionally, and I think the main thing that actors don't realise is that they want you to be right... When you walk through that door, they're on your side. You can then screw it up the minute you walk in. Yeah, that's But from yes, the minute, you, we want the good. next person to be Absolutely. right. Absolutely. I was saying to uh, Tilly before that 
I sometimes get more nervous for them. Because <laughs> I say, please... Uh, you but know, isn't it terrible when you it, have to watch somebody who's not good? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's awful. <laughs> it's not half as much fun as watching them on Saturday night on The X Factor. No, that's very true. Well, yes. Well, I don't watch it anymore because I no, end up screaming. But, but it's interesting how they... You want them to be good. You do want them to be good. And... Um, you can get, and they don't. They think it's a, a bit of a dentist thing, and that's that's quite interesting. So, so from the National Youth Theatre, what what progressed for you then? Um, well, then I suppose it made me think that I know I want to do this. Mm. That was then my final year at school, so there were A levels and things to do. But I thought I ain't doing any university applications. I, I know I want to do drama school. So I, apply, I applied to RADA, because obviously everybody still knows about RADA, don't they? And if you lived in Yorkshire, it was probably the only one you'd heard of. And I got a place, and that meant I found out that my parents weren't as rich as I thought they were, <laughs> even though we ran two village shops, because they couldn't afford to send me to RADA. And you had those things called discretionary grants then, where even though RADA had said, you're good enough to come and have a place... You had to then go to Rotherham Council and audition for Mrs. Birkenstall in a room somewhere <laughs> oh my God. who wore a twin set and pearls yes. and you suspected her personal hygiene was under threat. Yes. <laughs> and you did the same audition speech. And she knew nothing about Richard II. She knew all about, you know, all this. And Mrs. Birkenstall said, I don't think we'd be awarding you a grant. Oh, oh no. I know. Um, so how did, how, did you, how did you do it? What did you do? Well, I applied for a scholarship, which I didn't get. Um, so then I had to look for somewhere that you got a mandatory grant for if you had two A-levels. Um, and the only place was Manchester Polytechnic School of Theatre, as it was then. I think it's Manchester Metropole, Metropolitan now. Um, and I, got, I went there, did an interview, got a place, and they said you know, you can have a place, and if you got two A-levels, I would get a grant, and, you know, I did well at my A-levels just to stick a finger up at my school, and um, so got the money and went to Manchester. And in a way, I suppose it was the best thing that happened, really, because I'm not sure some of the other things would have happened if I'd come to London. I got my equity card in my first year through a a slight slip-up with equity and the London Festival Ballet, and I was the captain of the guard for a week in Sleeping Beauty with Rudolf Nureyev. I did not dance. Were you a spearholder? <laughs> uh, yes. Very good spearholder. I'm a very good spearholder with changes of costume. Oh, well, well. When the prince appeared in lilac, the captain of the guard appeared in lilac. <laughs> um, but that's amazing, actually, to, from that time to get an equity card, because, I mean, this... You know, getting equity card years ago, it was uh, even when uh, I came as a profession was yeah. was the guarded thing, and to yeah. to get that was and probably you're right coming being they lost the application. I'm not a, I think actors should be a <laughs> so, fan of equity. Uh, you know, oh, absolutely, I, I should be a member of equity. <laughs> absolutely, but I don't know whether I'm a fan. Mm. Um, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It is. It? Mm. it is. I find it very difficult how they justify that. When you earn a certain amount, they want something in the region of almost a thousand pounds in subscriptions to make more placards. If they were making placards to attack the headquarters of television companies to say, "Do not pay actors ridiculously low fees," that would be good. But mm. um, I, I, I have a bit of a problem with that side of it. But 
they have got some good agreements in place. And I think it's very good that certainly when you're starting out that you feel that there is something you're part of. Um, and I sent off my contract and um, I didn't hear anything. So I rang them up and they said, tell us what the contract was. And I went, oh, it was a week with the London Festival Ballet as the captain of the guard, which they'd come and audition to drama school. And they went, oh, fine, we'll pop your card in the post. Uh, no way. And I remember on a Friday when I was at home at Easter, my mother brought the post up. There was my equity card. And somebody who'd done it with me then applied, and they wrote to him back within four days and said, that doesn't qualify you for equity membership. <laughs> so I'm illegal. All these years, I'm probably illegally. illegal. Illegal. Um, I'm an illegal. An illegal equitier. So what was your, your big first, I'm a big job acting, I'm an actor? Oh, What was that with your shiny new equity card in your back pocket? I was really lucky, because the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester had opened while I was at drama school in the second year. And in the third year, their associate director came and directed Hedda Garbler, and I played Judge Brack. And I think they were looking to foster links between the school and the theatre. He was a very good director, and I got on really well with him. And then we did some auditions. We did a showcase in London, and then we did a showcase at the Royal Exchange in Manchester. And I got absolutely zilch interest from agents. Nothing. I thought, you know, I'm going to be mobbed at the stage door. No. <laughs> And, um, but I then, on the day before we finished school, he drove up, he had a rather flash red E-type Jag, and he parked in the car park, and I happened to be walking across the car park, and he went, I've got something for you, and I went, oh, right, what? And he gave me an envelope, and I, bizarre, and I opened it, and there was an offer to do a 17, 18-week tour of Winter's Tale for the British Council. Wow. That went to Oxford and Cardiff and then went all around Europe and then came back to the Royal Exchange in Manchester for eight weeks. So that was, it started in August and it finished December the 10th or something. And um, and I wasn't an acting ASM. There were two really good acting ASMs on it who were also doing their first job, but I was the wrong above, um, you know. And it was brilliant. It was just fantastic. And then the Royal Exchange asked me to stay on um, and the thing was, while I'd been at Manchester and got that equity card in my first year, one of my tutors was a wonderful working old actor, a lovely man called John McGregor, and he was married to a producer at um, Granada. And they quite often used to ring up if they were casting that sort of age group. Mm. And I did about four or five things at Granada, quite nice things while I was, at, you know. Well, so, good. so it sounds, 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 you know, obviously young as yourself you wanted to come to RADA everyone seems to want to come to London to, to do the thing and it, it for yourself and I've heard other actors actually staying up in Manchester uh, was a, a great experience and brought probably more than coming down south where there are 10,000 million people and that probably gave you better exposure to then probably when you came down south you yeah, had a CV yeah. full already so yeah uh, so when was when, so when you came down to London? What was your? Did you come down soon after those? Well, Granada I did a lot things? of rep. The great okay. thing was after Royal, after that I did, that, and then I did All Creatures Great and Small, and then I went to York Theatre Royal, on a players cast contract for six months, and I shared a dressing room with a little scrawny actor who it was his first job. Uh, and his name was Gary Oldman. <laughs> and um, we had a ball mm. playing servants in Romeo and Juliet and uh, West Country servants in She Stoops to Conquer. 
um, two of the boys in Privates on Parade, and in casting that would never be allowed now. He played the cat, and I blacked up to play the Grand Vizier of Morocco oh, wow. in Dick Whittington. <laughs> that um, sounds deeply dramatic. And no, deeply dramatic and deeply incorrect these yeah, days. Yes. Uh, black and lots of purple glitter. Okay, so let's let's sounds very exciting. <laughs> so let's move forward a bit to to um, what what happened when you came down to London and, and your book and, and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, what what uh, you obviously present day you're doing Hollyoaks at the moment, aren't you? I am, yes. And you uh, did a film as well. If you, if, is that coming out? Uh, soon? Yeah, The Rise, which is rather brilliant, actually. I saw it. We actually got it on iTunes the other week, but I did see it last year at the London Film Festival, and I think they've done a bit of a re-edit. It's got the fabulous um, Luke Treadaway, who, of course, just oh, won the yes. Olivier last year, for Curious Incident, brilliant performance. Mm. And it's about four disent... It's a, it's a Yorkshire um, heist caper movie set right. in the, you know, the wastelands of Leeds. It was originally called Wasteland, and mm. now it's called The Rise, and it's about these guys, and I get to be nasty and play a rather nasty club boss. Excellent. Um, and you've done Him and Her as well? We've just finished doing Him and Her, which was in the summer, which is great, and I think comes out... I think they're trialling it out with this thing of it coming out on iPlayer first. Yeah, the first so thing So that to hopefully come, it generates yeah. word and then you can watch it. I'd never seen it, and I joined it last series for the last episode, and I'm just working out what I can say that doesn't spoil it for people. <laughs> um, but I'd left... I did four series of Peep Show, a sitcom on Channel yes, 4. Yes, yes. Uh, and when I came out of that, they asked me to go to him and her, which I'd spoken to them about before. And I came in to be somebody in the life of Paul, the character played by the wonderful Ricky Champ, you know, Ricky's from South End, and um, I came in as somebody who I don't think anybody expected he'd have in his life. And they said, that's it, and that character can only do this episode because of the plot line. And, and then um, they brought you back for the next series. They brought me back for uh, five episodes of this series, and they've moved out of the flat, this series. This is for him and her aficionados. Yeah. Uh, so instead of being in real time in the flat, all the five episodes are in real time, but they're all at the wedding of Paul and Laura. So oh, we spent great. the whole day. So we spent we spent seven weeks in a marquee <laughs> near St Albans <laughs> with fifty extras as wedding guests, and all the main cast. And it's rare on a TV now mm. that camaraderie you get in the theatre. And and one of the things that I know people come to the Actors Centre for, you mm. know, to be with other actors. There's nothing better than it. I'm, Till of course, somebody says you have to go and act. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, gets in the way, doesn't it? But um, so all the main cast were there most days. And so it had a real company feel to it. It was a really lovely job. And we have the most fantastic director in the world on him and her called Richard Laxton, who just cares about actors. And he knows how to give you a note that will inspire you. Mm. Mm. And it's, it's rare, I think, because of time in television these days, everything's shot so quickly. Mm. He really invests what, in you. What was it like going from theatre to television? When did you make that transition? I mean, you did some things for, for Granada anyway when you were um, at, at college, uh, at drama school. So when did, it, when did you start doing more... Did you do more TV than theatre? How did you find that transition? Um, I did a lot of theatre. That's what I was trained in. I think we had a half a week's TV training when I was at drama school. And they pointed the camera at you. And then I just thought, oh, God, is that what I look like? <laughs> um, 
but nobody ever really told you about how to find the lens and where mm. to place yourself and things like that. So I did a lot of theatre. I was at the RSC for four years. Um, and I was really on television whenever I saw myself. There's a Tales of the Unexpected out somewhere. I which love that. Yeah, <laughs> no. You see, this is one thing I think equity cards would be really good for. I think you should be able to have endorsements on them. <laughs> you know, I think you should have points. Points, yes. yeah. And 12 points and you're disqualifying for a year. Well, believe me, nine of those points would have come from Tales of the Unexpected. <laughs> really? Which was set in Jamaica but was filmed in North Devon. And um, I played an American. The thing that changed it for me and my understanding of it was, funnily enough, the stuff I've written the book about, which is corporate acting, and it was role-play. And I got involved in role-play, like a lot of actors did in the 80s, because it was another way of making money. Mm. Uh, I was directing at the time. I wasn't doing any acting. And there's a lovely actress called Debbie Manship who runs a company called Roll Call, and through acquaintances I went to meet her, and she sent me out on a job and I was with an oncologist, and he had a group of people, and this particular role-play was a bit of a demonstration role-play, and it was about breaking bad news about cancer. And I'm, I think you're thinking, on every job I do, I think there's a, what I call a rumble factor, you know, when you get rumbled about it. And I'm thinking, oh, God, there's no script, there's nothing, and it's real, how do you do this? And because you sit down with somebody real and you read the brief about you're going back for the tests and this is what has happened or whatever. And this real doctor started talking to me. And actually the rest of the room just fell away and I was just responding to him. And although there's a slight awareness that it's got to be audible for the rest of the room, which I think is your theatre training... It had actually just left me any worry about an theatre. I can find, I can walk on, I can be doing a scene, and I can tell you if a spotlight's out on the fourth row back on the dress circle. I can tell you what seats, yes. numbers. You know, I did a play at the Duchess, and I used to come off and tell people and go, "Oh, your mother's in K twenty-seven," because I can scour the audience. Yeah, your awareness becomes extremely. Peripheral and everything becomes yeah. very and it's always yeah, been a thing of yes. mine. And I can get, I'm absolutely believable. You can't detect I'm doing it, but I can come back and go, ooh, you know, there's a bit of a dish in C-Row tonight or mm, whatever. Mm, mm. Um, but suddenly doing this role play, I got this absolute one-to-one -one thing. And then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the road to Damascus, but I'm sure what happened later was I just thought, I bet that's what telly's like. I bet that's what you should be doing on television rather than thinking... How do I play to the camera? I know it's smaller than theatre, but how do I play to the camera? Yeah. You don't. You let the camera come in and find you. I mean, you know, it's taken me 38, 40 years to learn how to do nothing. Yeah. Yes, it does. It's interesting. On my, yes. on my yes. very first morning on that Winter's Tale job for the Royal Exchange, a lovely old actress called Dillis Hamlet came up to me at the coffee break. She went, darling, how lovely. What a beautiful reading. And she laid a very feminine, elongated hand on my shoulder. And she just said, do you know, when you're 40, you'll never stop. And I went, oh, thank you. And then I worked out I was 21 at the yeah. time. And I got <laughs> yes. a 19-year wait. But do you know what? She was absolutely right. Yeah, no, I totally, it's the same for me as sort of going into directing. But it's interesting, a lot of uh, young actors, you know, do the role play, the role stuff... To make money, you know, it's it's it's, it's an, but do you think it's also because obviously we're going to talk about your book about it? Do you think it's uh, I wouldn't say training, but do you think it's another it's a good experience for actors 
well, it was a good experience for you, but do you think it's a good, the, the doing the role play way? Do you think it's an extra? Yeah, I think it is. I think the thing is, is that acting's all about being fresh for the moment, isn't it? Not doing again what you did in the last take, not mm. doing what you did last night. Um, you can't do it in role play because you don't know what they're going to say. So you have to listen, and you have to listen genuinely. You don't have to hear the cue. Mm. Yes, yeah. yeah, you have to pay attention. You, you have, have to, to listen be, be in the moment yeah. more. But you also use the bit of your brain that you would be looking at and seeing who's in the audience or where the lights are to be noting what they're doing. So, okay, good eye contact. Ah, okay, he's done that. I feel listened to. Oh, dear, he's just looked at his watch. That's not very good. Or whatever. So you've got the points for the feedback. Yeah, the observation. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And so it's a bit like doing that. And it really... Rec and also actors have this ability, because people do role-play in their workplaces with other people, but... It's, it's this strange thing that psych psychiatrists and psychotherapists, I suppose, can't understand about us, that as actors, if I plunge this sword into the side of your body, I believe at that moment of doing it in the play, I've killed you. But I know that the sword has to go through that gap between your torso and your arm, and it has to do it safely. But I absolutely believe at that moment of doing it, I've killed you. Mm. And I think it's that thing that happens in role play, that you absolutely believe you're in the moment with the person, but there's that bit of the brain filtering so mm. that you've got the feedback, because it's the feedback skills. that it's, it's not just about playing the role. It is about the ability then to communicate what's happened. Mm. Mm. So, so do you mean to maybe, not preempt, slightly adjust as well as being in the moment? So you, you sense and go with what's happening... In the moment, I suppose, is what, I, yeah. what I'm saying, really. But you can adjust, your peripheral is allowing you to adjust and go with as opposed to. Yeah, and it's also that really good improv in that you know where you're heading, but you don't feel that you, um, you know, you don't feel you have to do it. You know, it's like somebody has a brief which says, you know, your manager's getting you in and you're late for work. And the reason you're late for work is your mother is, your aged mother has depression and you are her carer although you don't want people to know this at the moment. It's how you let that information come out. It's a bit like how you let... You know, you don't give everything away about Hamlet the first time you come on stage. You let the audience gather a picture by your actions of what you do. Mm. And, you know, I have seen actors who come in and roll play and they sit down and go, oh, I'm really, really sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm ever so sorry. I'm just late. I mean, it's a problem at home. I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> give it all away. Oh, <laughs> mother, mother. Anyway, you know, and... You yes, think, and they won't shut up. And the brilliant thing about role play is the idea is you've got to use your input to get them talking. So did this. So let's go to right to the book now. How how did that happen? And did the book, the book. So you want to be a corporate actor? That's the available one. from Nick Hearn Books. Nick Hearn Books and available at the Actors Centre. Eight pound discounted at the Actors Centre. Very good price online. Buy it through Nick Hearn. Though you can get it through Amazon. So you want to be a corporate actor? That book, which that is book. also a very good series. Well it's plugged. A <laughs> it's yes. a brilliant series. Though. It is a very series. There's yeah. lots of books. And I'm thrilled. I'm really thrilled and honoured to be part of that mm. series because Nick Hearn are a fantastic theatre publisher i mean they do brilliant scripts chimerica and stuff from the national mm. they are a real yes, asset to the theater world and they really invested in it and, and to be guided on because it's quite book. you know because in that series you have the playwriting one the actor one the director the, one there's a producing one there's a producing Ruthie one. Henschel did Ruthie one Henschel did musical theater one and this one is interesting because it's a bit like saying actually corporate acting is part of our 
the family thing as well. So I'm interested to know how that happened and where, where you went with it. Well, I've done classes on role-play for, I suppose, about ten years now because there were some jobs I was on in the early noughties, or whatever we're calling them, the nought- I like calling them the noughties, um, and it was for fast-track teachers. The government had a scheme whereby people with degrees could do a one-year course to get them up to be teachers, and they got five grand and a free laptop, uh, and then a lot of pain Good when they went paper. into a comprehensive school. Yeah. Um, and they were, this role-play company were using lots of young actors to play the pupils. So we were being difficult pupils, difficult parents, senior colleagues and things. Um, and we were on a train journey back from Crewe, I think. And there were a couple of these young actors talking. And I was with an older actress who does an awful lot of role-play and is incredibly good. And just from what they were talking, I thought, do you think they actually said that when they were in there? Uh, and she went, I don't know, and because I'm me and a bit bolshy and I don't suffer fools very gladly, I leant across and went, sorry, did you say that to the person you were role-playing with? And the person in question went, yeah. And I went, how constructive do you think that was? And they went, well, nobody's told me what to say. Oh, OK. And I thought, right, there's no... So there is no... You know, actors just go into it. Somebody says, my friend does role-play. And that's what happened to me. Nobody trained me when I sat down to work with that oncologist for the first time. And I could have really messed it up. Um, And especially as actors, we can be quite outspoken, which doesn't always work in the corporate world. But also, for us, it's not about you in the corporate world. It's about them. Whereas actors, it's about us. It's about my car. What time is my car arriving? Yes, where is my Where's trailer? my dressing room? Yeah, where is my trailer? Why is my trailer a further walk away than Russell Tovey's? I yeah. love Russell Tovey. Um, but, you know, and it's not. It's all about them. And that's quite refreshing in a way, particularly if you've got an ego. So that was the, the thinking of the writing of the book? Yeah, well, that was the thinking behind doing the classes. Right. And then I brought those classes to the Actors' Centre, and I do them since I've been on the board here, and I do them twice a year, probably, on a Saturday, a one-day course just on role-play skills. And I was in, um, we, I was in Rome with my partner last year. Uh, we had birthdays within three days of each other. And I was just doing... I was just about to film The Rise, actually. But then after it, I knew I had nothing for a month. And um, I'm, a, I'm very good at moaning... I think quite a lot of actors are. Somebody said, if we had a collective noun for actors, it should be a whinge of actors. Yes. And I think sometimes it should. If we stop moaning, we could get, get a lot done. Yeah. <laughs> Why? There's a great joy in, oh, are they going to do that scene again? Um, <laughs> but my partner, who is very forthright and very successful and um, younger than me and is a great source of inspiration... I was going, and then when I finished shooting this film on the 1st of April, I've got nothing for six weeks. Nothing. Um, And he went, well, do something, you're clever enough. And I went, yes, but what? Nobody's given me a job. He went, well, do something. So I got home and I I looked on the internet. I thought, is there something about how to do role play for actors? And there wasn't. And I was quite amazed because everything's on the internet, isn't it? Mm. But I couldn't find any instructions for actors as to how to role play. So I sort of wrote a treatment, and it's not just about role-play, because I also direct live events. Mm. Uh, I was in Portugal last week. I've just directed McDonald's UK AGM out in uh, Albufeira. 
and they're people I've worked with for about nine years, and I've done, you know, things on the Orient Express and plays in Australia and the corporate world. Um, so it's about that, but role-play was the start of it, and there was three very meaty chapters about role-play, how to do it, how to give feedback, how to do forum theatre. It's all, There's also a little bit of history in there. It's a, There's stuff about the promotional agencies who use actors, what the pitfalls are, which the brilliant ones are, people like Crew Live, mm. who use lots of actors, and it's very demanding, but very good, good rate of pay, um, about live events, about training. So it's everything from, you know, helping a doctor do something as difficult as deliver news that you're terminally ill to dressing in a lot of foam rubber and being a banana running around Waitrose. <laughs> yes. Actually, we don't have foam rubber bananas in Waitrose. We know what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean. Little. So the, the, the book itself is... is um it's an introduction, but also possibly for people, is it a, people that have been doing it and going, I don't know what this, I've been doing it for a while, I've, I've still can't, don't know what this world is about. So it's a sort of, would, is that the type of book? I think it is, yeah. I think it's exhaustive in that sense. I would hope some people who are experienced or have done role play uh, for quite a while have read it and went, I found that really, really useful mm. to have it formulated in front of mm. me. I'm told it's very funny. Uh, which I wanted it to be. Mm. My publisher did a lovely speech at the book launch where he said, when you see a book entitled So You Want to Be a Corporate Actor, you don't expect to find yourself laughing at the phrases vaginal discharge and anti-Semitic <laughs> Nazis at Tesco. And you lovely do. characters to play. Yeah, yeah. No, they're both in. <laughs> I got some lovely, lovely people who've done corporate stuff with me to do word pictures of things that stick out for them, just to break up the sort of training element of it mm. um, and people managed to come up with some wonderful memories that we shared and they're quite good because you know that's the sort of way you learn as an actor going back to where we started this conversation by sharing stories with other people as to yes well i was just going to sort of get to the, to get to talking about sharing you know from sharing from your your uh, little play at uh, at school to the book and now to here to the actor center where you where you are chairman Did, what is your because obviously everyone asked because obviously yesterday when um, rufus norris was announced as national theater he said yeah, well, it will be different choice. which every you know every chairman or artist director will say what what would you say your major important philosophies for this place or where do you think this place should go or is good at or, or what's your opinion of this place, basically? Well, I suppose I, I was asked to join the board about five years ago because somebody was retiring and they asked me to come and um, they mainly wanted me for my experience in the corporate market and at that stage they did used to run a thing called Actors Centre in Business uh, so I, I came and I joined the board and I met Matthew Lloyd and I came to board meetings and people talked about spreadsheets a lot and nobody came and asked anything about corporate. And I used to then stay at home and say to my other half, he'd say, what are you doing tomorrow? And I'd say, oh, I'm going to stay in. There's a board meeting, but I'm not More going. moaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very positive moaning, Jason, thank you. Um, <laughs> and then... And Matthew Lloyd was here. Now, Matthew was the artistic director, and Matthew did a great deal for the Actors' Centre mm. about giving it artistic integrity. When I got involved, I did realise that it's different and that 
you know, it can be a breeding ground for projects and it can provide that really essential bit in your day of being an actor. The best piece of advice I ever had was this wonderful old guy at drama school, John McGregor, and he said, do you know what you have to do when you go out there is you have to do one thing each day that will lead to work and then you have to get on with being a person. Mm. And, of course, the better person you are means the better actor you are. And I've seen people coming in to audition for me for theatre shows I've been directing, and they're so desperate for the work because they haven't worked. And when they've gone out of the room, you say, well, yeah, he read it really well, but I have absolutely no idea of who that person is because mm. it was all about the desperation for the job. Mm. Yeah. So what's your vision, what's your, your personal, not necessarily the board as chairman, but what's your personal vision to move that and, and I'm sure it's already started but, but how, do, how do you so I want, I want it to be a place to help people stay within the world to help them grow for the potential for work so it's the family thing which I always go on about is, is looking after each other and, and encouraging each other yeah. constantly yeah yeah wonderful brilliant okay well we're going to have to call it a day there because I think um, we've, we're running over our time slot here so um, thank, you <laughs> thank you very much, Paul, for coming on the show and um, offering all that great advice. And, and it's really interesting hearing your story. So thanks again for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening. So if you have a minute, it would be great if you could um, drop us a review on iTunes out of five stars and, and maybe uh, say a little something about the show. And um, that's great. And also, we're on Twitter now. So follow us at DBSD Podcast and get updates and um, information on future shows. Okay, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Steve Bradley. I'm Jason B. Moore. And I think I'm still Paul Clayton. <laughs> Don't be so dramatic.